John chapter 15 and verse 16 was a verse that we looked at and talked about last week. We talked about the ultimate purpose of the true disciple. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let me just take a moment to say, you know, sometimes we feel like we have no value, that we have no worth. You know, if you're a Christian, you need to realize that of all the people on the globe, over 6 billion people, God put his finger on you and said, I want you on my team. How about that? How about that? You should be elated about that, that the, the most important person on the globe chose you to be on his team. You're on the winning team. Amen. So be encouraged today. But Jesus said, I chose you and I appointed you. He's saying to every believer, I have selectively picked you for a purpose, for a reason. He said, I've selectively picked, anointed, and appointed you to go and bear fruit. We were born, born to be spiritual producers. We were born that way. You know, the Lord God created male and female. He created us that way so we can reproduce and multiply and fill the earth. God created us with a certain DNA, a certain spiritual DNA that we don't have to do. We don't have to squeeze our hands together and we don't have to strain till we have, till we sweat drops of blood to produce spiritually. It's in us to produce spiritually. Amen. Matthew 419, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men. The Lord wants us to reach others with the gospel. You know, if I surveyed everybody in this room and said, you know, who was instrumental in you getting to know Jesus? Most of us would be able to point to a family, a friend, a loved one. They could say, man, that person right there is, is a key person that affected me in my spiritual walk. Amen. So we should be constantly keeping our eyes open, looking for somebody to reach. We should be constantly be asking the question, God, who do you want me to touch today? Who do you want me to reach out today? And remember, people become more, more receptive to the gospel at different times in their life, mostly through trials and tribulations, tensions and transitions. Whenever there's great transition in their life or they're going through great tension in their life because of problems and circumstances, they become more vulnerable. Amen. And Proverbs 1130 says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls, who he who is wise wins souls. You know, not everybody wins souls. Not everybody affects others spiritually. You know who does? The wise. The wise win souls. So we must be very wise if we're going to touch other people with the gospel. But not just wise. We need to be intentional. We need to be intentional about trying to reach others. Amen? If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. So you got to be, you got to focus your life. You got to be intentional about what you want to do with your life. Hey, the Lord has given us the privilege of being able to change people's eternity. Isn't that a great privilege, saints of God? It's a great privilege. So we must be wise and intentional in winning souls. Now, this week I was looking, uh, Tanya and I were visiting and uh, Tanya shared with me some notes that she had and didn't even, had no clue what I was doing today. But she shared with me a message that she taught the uh, high school interns this summer about, about winning souls, about evangelizing. And as I read her notes, I said, man, this is really good. I said, Tanya, how about we tag team today? How about you help me preach? And so reluctantly, she said, yeah, amen. So Tanya, why don't you come? I asked Tanya to come and to unpack this point about we must be wise and intentional in winning souls. Good morning. You know, Todd's been preaching the last few weeks about, you know, the ultimate purpose of every disciple is to reach others with the gospel. That's the ultimate purpose. You know, there's one thing that all Christians are called to do, and that's evangelize. And so, you know, the word that Todd was, I think what he wants to really hone in on this, this morning is intentional. That word intentional. We must be intentional about reaching those around us. You know, whenever we're out just doing the day-to-day activities, we need to have the mindset, the intentional mindset. How can I reach that lady at the checkout at Walmart? You know, like Todd says, you know, she has a hard time 
She has a hard day. How can I reach her? How can I bless her? How can I be a light to the waiter at lunch whenever I go to lunch today after church? What about my lost family? How can I be an example of godliness and holiness and the love of Christ to, to my family? Or perhaps my neighbor or maybe uh, my wayward children. How can I reach them? What about a spouse? Some of you may have a lost spouse. How can I be a light to my spouse? Well, the Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus told them, you are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Now you may say, okay, how do I, I'm not a preacher. I don't prepare sermons. I don't get up in the pulpit. I don't teach every Sunday. I don't preach every Sunday. That's not my gift. I'm not a preacher. But when we think of the word preaching, you know, we do, we think words, right? But really, when we think of preaching, we should think life. We should think life. We need to shift our thinking from what is my mouth preaching to what is my life preaching? So what is the best way to preach the gospel? Well, the best way to preach the gospel is to live the gospel. Living the gospel will speak louder, reach farther, and go deeper than our, our words ever will. You know, Jesus was our perfect example. And we are commanded in the Bible to actually follow that example. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Follow God's example in everything you do, just as a much-loved child imitates his father. Be full of love for others, following the example of Christ. Now, Jesus gave us many examples how to live the gospel, right? But this morning, I'm just going to try really quickly to share three with you. So Jesus showed us three examples of how we can live the gospel. Number one, we live the gospel when we love others. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Follow God's example in everything you do, just as a much-loved child imitates his father. Be full of love for others. Following the example of Christ. You know, Jesus loved. He loved the young. He loved the old. He loved the rich. He loved the poor. He loved the sick. He loved the whole. He loved the saints and he loved the sinners. And we should follow his, we should follow his lead. Amen. Amen. John chapter 13 and verse 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Verse 35 says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the only badge of discipleship that the world recognizes. You know, if you want people to know you're a Christian, love them. You know, love is the most important form of preaching the gospel. It's the most important form of preaching the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, if, you're, if you have the word of God just coming out of your mouth, just coming out of your mouth, but no love is coming out of your heart, you're just making a bunch of noise. And I love the way it says it in the, in the message. You know, and again, I say you, but I'm talking about me here. You know, I feel the Lord has really convicted me about these things. And so I really feel like, man, I just really need to work harder on, on, on living my life this way. But I love the way the message uh, version says it in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Here are some ways, there's some simple ways that we can love others. First of all, don't look down on those who live by our standards. You know, being harsh because maybe they don't uh, believe the same way that we believe or they don't look the same way, that they don't have the same convictions that we have. You know, preaching at people, um, being judgmental. Don't look down on people. You know, the Bible says that it's his kindness that 
that brought us to repentance, right? His kindness led us to repentance. So we need to follow the lead and be kind to others. You know, draw them with love and they're going to open their hearts to Jesus. Look for people who are unlovable and love them. It's, it's, it's easy to love people who are lovable, right? But look for people who are unlovable intentionally and love them. Do you know why they're unlovable? Because they probably haven't had any love in their lives. That's right. They That's need right. love. Amen. They need some love. They need to be loved. Another way we can love others is to prefer others over ourselves. You know, John chapter 15 and verse 12 and 13 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's about, love is about us preferring others over ourselves. You know, we don't necessarily have to physically die for other people. But, you know, can we put aside our selfish agendas for one minute just for a greater cause? For the salvation of a soul? Number two, we live the gospel when we serve others. We live the gospel when we serve others. Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5 through 7 says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus served. He said, I come to serve, not to be served and to give my life as a ransom. You know, Jesus, he wasn't concerned about his status. He was concerned about his service. Whenever he saw a need, he met that need. He healed the blind man. He fed thousands. He served his mother even before it was his time to uh, do the, the, the call that, that the Lord had placed before him. When it wasn't yet his time. He washed the disciples' dirty, yucky feet. He died on the cross. The the scripture says that Jesus emptied himself. Think about it. The God, the King, the Savior of the world refused the temptation to be selfish. He took off his crown. He took off his robe. He put on an apron and he served. You know, I think for me especially... You know, it's easy for us to serve when it doesn't inconvenience us too much or if it doesn't cost too much, right? But what if someone asks us to do something that'll cut into our me time? Or what if it will cause us to have to cancel some plans with friends? Or what if it'll make us too tired or too dirty or too sweaty? Will we serve? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26 through 28 says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's some ways that we can serve others. Look for ways to be useful or helpful wherever you go. doesn't matter where you are. Say, how can I help? Don't wait to be asked to do something. Volunteer. Some of us don't like that word, volunteer. But do you know that there's actually an anointing that comes with volunteering? And there's a blessing that comes with it too. When someone asks you to do something, just add a smile to it. Sure, I'll do it for you. Have you ever asked someone to do something for you and they're like, okay. And then you're like, okay, never mind. I'll do it myself. You know, that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of person I want serving me, right? I want someone serving me with a, with an, an, um, an attitude, a good attitude, a great attitude, uh, not, not a bad one. Um, be a giver rather than a taker. True happiness is not found in receiving things, but in rather in giving you, yourself in ways that will benefit the lives of others. That's true serving. It's not about what am I going to get from this. It's about what, what are they going to get out of this? How can I serve? How can I benefit their lives? How can I influence their lives? How can I up, uplift them? How can I encourage them? How can I 
be a light and a love to them and, and make them feel wanted by a loving God. And number three, we live the gospel when we walk in humility. We live the gospel when we walk in humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, Jesus not only walked in humility, he died in humility. Even when they beat him, when they spit on him, when they whipped him, when they crowned him with thorns, when they stripped him of his clothes and hung him on a cross naked, he didn't say a word. He stayed humble. He humbly carried the cross because he knew it was going to serve a great purpose. And this is the deal. His humility opened up the hardest of hearts. As he hung on that cross with humility in his, in his heart, the thief on the side of him, the hardest of hearts, recognized that he was the son of God and wanted the love of God. And the soldier below him that crucified him, that probably did put the nails in his hands and feet, looked up and said, this is God. This is the man of God. This is the savior of the world. It was his humility that softened their hearts. It was his humility that opened their hearts. Humility will open up others' hearts towards you so that you can share the gospel with them. You know, people are drawn to humility. I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to humble people. Are you drawn to humble people? Pride, on the other hand, will close people off to the gospel. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if God opposes the proud, people will oppose the proud. And this is, this is what's so cool. You know, when we just read about Jesus humbling himself even to the point of death, this is how God responded to Jesus' humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name with, uh, that is above every name. You see, in the eyes of God, humility holds the highest honor. Here's some ways we can walk in humility. First of all, we can esteem others higher than ourselves. We can esteem them higher than ourselves. We can say, you know what? You are more important than me. We can listen more than we speak. You know, we have a lot to say, but we have a lot more that we need to hear sometimes. So we need to listen more than we speak. How about this one? This is a toughie for me. Ask forgiveness when you're wrong someone or if you've offended someone. This is a very important way that we can walk in humility. Spend time in God's presence. See, humility is a natural response of being in the presence of God. When you've been in the presence of God, you're not going to come out of the presence of God proudful, prideful. You're going to come out of the presence of God humble because you've just been in the presence of a mighty God and you realize that you are only this big, Amen. right? And, you know, pride begins in our heart, but humility begins in our spirit. And so when our spirit is in fellowship with the spirit of God, we're going to have humble hearts. It's going to affect our hearts. And so spend time with God. That's one way to stay humble. You know, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called us two things. He called us the light of the world, and he called us the salt of the earth. And so we can do two things. We can, be, we can either be a light that just shines a spotlight on ourselves and blinds people from seeing Jesus because of our pride, our arrogance, our selfishness, our judgment, or we can be a light in the darkness showing people who Jesus is, a loving, a compassionate, a merciful, and a forgiving God. And we can be the kind of salt that is put into the wounds of others' suffering. Or we can be the salt that when people get a taste of Jesus, they want more. So, you know, again, we need to be intentional, intention, excuse me, intentional about reaching the lost, right? Intentional. So how can we do this? We can do this by living the gospel. 
Live love. Live service. Live humility. When we live the gospel of Jesus, we preach the gospel of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, honey. Amen. Y'all ready to close in prayer now? Was that good? Amen. That was tremendous. Very practical. So you don't need to be behind a pulpit. You know, not too many people become Christians because somebody behind the pulpit affected them. They may respond to the gospel when they hear the gospel in a church service, but the work has already been done beforehand by people in their life that has been a good example and a good role model that they've seen Jesus in before and said, I want some of that. Amen? You know, Friday night, uh, I was here to, uh, to just uh, make sure everything went well. And, and uh, you know, it was just amazing to me. I, I, was, I was a proud spiritual papa Friday night. So many ladies came up to me and said, Todd, I want to introduce you to my sister. I want to introduce you to my mother. I want to introduce me to, to introduce you to my neighbor, my coworker. There was a ton of guests here, and I was just just uh, uh, elated and privileged to get to meet the friends and family of the ladies that came out. In fact, one particular lady, um, you know, it was quite humorous. Uh, she said, "Hey, Pastor Todd, I want you to meet my neighbor." My, this is my neighbor, and uh, we've been neighbors for a long time. She said, I asked her to come, and, and surprisingly, she said yes. Right in the front of the lady, and the lady said, she thought I was going to say no again. But she said, I decided to come check it out. So apparently, she had been asked many times, but you know what? She decided that this time she was going to come. But now an interesting footnote is this. This dear lady had lost her husband in January of this year. And she had lost another close relative. I couldn't remember. I can't remember who it was. But she was going through tension in life. And although uh, she had been asked to come to church before, this time she said yes. But you know the thing about it is, is that this neighbor had enough respect for the family life church member who's been living next door for all the years that she was willing to follow her to church. And you know why I believe that is? Because she was living the gospel. You see, saints of God, we can make a difference in touching people's lives, amen? But we must be wise and we must be intentional, amen? Now, not only do we be, we need to be intentional about winning souls, but we also need to be intentional about discipling those we win. In John 15, 16, notice what it says there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And notice this, fruit that will last. How many of you know that the Lord is interested in lasting fruit? Lasting fruit represents people that have received Christ and continue to follow him all of their days. Not just a short while. You know, there's a very large portion of the population who at one time began following Christ, but somewhere along the way they got discouraged and they end up falling away and quitting. How many of you know somebody like that? How many of you personally been there? You followed Christ for a while, fell away, and then you came back and you're glad you're back. Or how many of you know people that at one time they were living for the Lord and serving the Lord, but right now they're not? You know, I believe that the main reason that many fall away, don't continue following the Lord, it's because they don't get discipled. They don't, get, they don't receive discipleship. You know, Jesus used this parable to explain why many people fall away. In Matthew 13, remember he told the parable about the sower that went out, the farmer that went out and sowed seed. And he said, you know, there were seeds that fell on four different soils. One of them fell on the pathway. And he said, the birds came and ate the seed before it started growing. And then he said, one seed fell on shallow soil, which had rocks underneath the shallow soil. And then he said, listen, the seed sprouted quickly because of the shallow soil, but the plant soon wilted and died in the hot sun because it didn't have deep roots. Then he said there was a third seed that fell among the thorns. 
And the thorns grew up and choked up the plant, the tender plant, so that it never did produce any fruit. And then he said this fourth seed fell on fertile soil and it produced a crop 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. And then he explains the parable. He says, listen, let me tell you what I'm really meaning. You know, a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual principle, a spiritual lesson. And he says, let me give you the lesson. In Matthew 13, 18, he said, listen to the explanation of the parable about the former planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. You ever wonder why some lost people don't receive the gospel whenever they hear it preached? Don't get mad at them. It's the enemy that comes snatches the seed from their heart. You just need to pray more. You need to reach. You need to love more. You need to serve more. Amen. Soften their heart to get it more ready for the seed of the word of God. Amen. And then in verse 20, he said, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, here is the reason why many fall away from the faith. Jesus explains it right here. He says they get discouraged when they start having a lot of problems or start getting persecuted for believing God's word. Do you know, I can assure you, whenever you make a decision to serve God, it's not going to be all rosy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. The enemy is going to be sure to throw as many problems at you as he possibly can. Why? Because he's trying to get you to believe that it does not pay to serve the Lord. And then I can assure you of this. As soon as you start having convictions and trying to live the way God wants you to live, you can be certain you'll have friends and family that are going to start attacking you and calling you holy roller and, and better than everybody else, even though you didn't say a word. It's just part of it. Amen. But you see, lasting fruit is people that get through that time. Lasting fruit is people that make it through that discouraging time. And so listen, the seed on rocky soil, I believe, represents those who have become Christians, but have never been discipled. Listen, in verse 21, he says, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. You see, the reason they fall away, Jesus said, is they don't have deep roots. What is deep roots? I believe not having deep roots means they've never grown mature in the Lord. They've never grown strong in the Lord. They've continued to be infants in the Lord. Shallow roots means you're still weak and immature and you're very vulnerable in your Christian walk. And so you have to get disciple to get deep roots. We need to disciple people. So listen, never again should we try to win somebody to the Lord and as soon as they make a decision for Christ, move on to the next person. That's committing spiritual abortion. We need to stay with them. We need to help them. We need to nurture them. Amen? Discipleship means you help people develop deep roots in their Christian faith. Discipleship means you help people learn and grow in their relationship with God. Discipleship means you help people get through life's problems and endure the persecution they face from family and friends. Whenever they say, man, my family's coming against me. Well, you just need to get alongside of them and encourage them and say, hey, listen, it happens to everybody. It's happened to me. It's going to happen to you. But listen, you just keep going. And one day they're going to come back to you and ask you about the Lord that you serve in. Amen. Say, listen, whenever you're going through deep problems, don't think that God has forgot about you. There's an enemy that don't want you to succeed. Listen, you're going to get through these problems. Just persevere. Just press through it. And you're going to get over to the other side. And man, God's blessing is going to be on your life. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of encouragement for them to make it through that hurdle and get a little rooted a little bit deeper and make it through their problems and their hardships. Amen. Listen, discipleship, it's like being a spiritual parent. You know, as a parent, you, you nurture and you, and you tend to a young child and you, and you help them learn how to, how to, how to do this thing called life. And discipleship is like being a spiritual parent and you just come alongside of them. And and the Bible says that when you first become a Christian, you're an infant in Christ. 
And so we need to come alongside of them. You know, sometimes we're a lot more, we're a lot more uh, eager and enthusiastic about winning people to Christ and not so much about discipling them. But you know what? We need a parent's heart. We need the parental, the parental instinct spiritually and start coming alongside of people. Amen. You know, discipling others is also like, like becoming a nurse and compassionately caring for a patient. You know, nurses always checking the vitals and, and, and seeing how they're doing. Are you comfortable? Are you okay? Let's check your blood pressure. Let's check your fever. And they're always monitoring the condition of the patient. And discipling people is like being a nurse. It's like being a nurse and just saying, how you doing today? Are you okay? How's your family doing? How's work going? Let me check your blood pressure. Let me check your pulse. Are you doing okay? And if it's not, you come alongside and you give them a little care. Amen. Amen. You know, discipleship is like being a gardener where you come water the plant and you come check the plant to make sure there's no fungus on the plant. There's no disease on the plant. And if there's fungus or disease on the plant, you come and you spray the plant. You come and take care of the plant because, you know, if you will just take care of that little seedling and give it a time to get rooted and it's going to become the strong oak tree and it'll be able to weather the storm. You see, discipling is like being a trainer, it's training a student in a certain vocation. Listen, this is how you do Christianity. This is how you live the gospel. This is how you be an example. This is what you do when people come against you. Don't retaliate. Don't get in a fist fight with them. Just be quiet. And you start training them, training them how, teaching them how to be a Christian. See, how did we learn to be a Christian? Somebody showed us. Somebody taught us. Amen. Listen, we should never abandon those we win to Christ. But we should intentionally care for them. We should intentionally care for that young convert like a mother cares for her young. Till they become strong in the Lord. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, not Christians. Go and make disciples. He knew that people would come to know Christ. He knew that people would get saved because he's put it in the, he's put it in the DNA of the spiritual climate that people's hearts are going to be drawn to him. He said, listen, whenever that happens, when you see that happen, you come alongside them, put your arm around them and help them grow. Amen. And so you see, we can make a difference. We can, we can be, we can be a, an influence in our society. We need to be intentional about helping reach people with the gospel. And we need to be intentional about discipling them. Discipleship requires intentional focus of one's life. It don't happen automatically. It takes intentionality. See, the third soul that Jesus talked about in his parable of the sore, I think, represents the disciple without proper focus of their life. In Matthew 13, 22, since the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hears God's word, but are all too, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. It happens over and over again in churches all over the world. See, I think the seed on rocky soil, I think it represents those who become Christians, but have never been discipled or have never discipled others. Verse 21, since, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. But listen, the reason why we need, to, we need to disciple them is so they last long, but once we become a mature Christian, we need to go to the next level and begin reaching out to others, amen? And so he says, listen, the seed among thorns represents people, they hear God's word, they receive it with joy, but all of a sudden, they're excited about their Christian walk, but then they get so busy, they get so crowded out with the worries of life and the lure of wealth that they're unfruitful. And so listen, discipling others requires intentionality and and requires focus. It's not just going to happen automatically. You've got to be intentional about it. You got to make it a priority of your life. Are y'all with me out there? Y'all still following me? And so listen, discipling others requires, number one, intentional focus of your time to build relationships. 
You know, listen, the first step to making a disciple is being a friend, not being a prophet, not being a preacher. The first step to making a disciple is being a friend. How many of you know how to be a friend? Jesus was intentional about spending time with his disciples. The Bible says he he hung out with his disciples. He ate with his disciples. He prayed with his disciples. He included them on his ministry journeys. The first step to making a disciple is spending time. You got to spend time. You make friends by spending time and following Tanya's advice. Love people, serve people, walk humbly with people. And people are going to want to be around you and hang out with you. Amen. You see, effective relationships don't just happen. They are built by spending intentional time with people. And so listen, when you go to lunch, you don't have to go to lunch by yourself. Now, if you're a female, I wouldn't recommend, and you're married, don't invite a married man or a single man to lunch, okay? Because then I'm going to be doing a lot of marriage counseling here. But listen, how about inviting a coworker and say, hey, I'm going to lunch. You're going to lunch, right? How about we go to lunch together? Discipling others requires just spending time with them. And we don't have to go out of our way. We just be, need to be intentional. Amen. Listen, when we're out there in the yard and somebody's in the yard next door, all we got to do is just go over there and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how about let me help you with that? Discipling others requires intentional focus of your time. And so it also requires intentional focus of developing character. See, Jesus devoted his entire Sermon on the Mount to helping the disciples build character, personal character. And so he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's the, the only sermon. Tanya had this in her notes, which she didn't mention. But the Sermon on the Mountain is the only sermon Jesus preached. The rest of the time, he acted out the sermon. And as he lived his life, he taught the disciples. Hey, right here, you should have went to the head of the table. You should have took the back of the table because now you're going to ask you to go to the back. It's going to be embarrassing. So next time, instead of trying to go get the head of the table, go at the end of the table. And if they invite you to the front, then you go up to the front. Amen? And so he taught them character. But most importantly, he modeled character. How many of you know it's more important that you model it than you talk about it? You see, the truth is we all have influence on people around us. Negatively or positively. So we need to have positive impact on people's character by modeling Godly character. Amen. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be deceived. Bad company, bad company corrupts good morals. See, the influence of bad company destroys a person's morals and character. If you hang around the wrong people, we need to go into the world to reach people. But be careful how long you stay there. Whenever you start becoming more like them than them become like you, it's time to pull back. Amen. And so bad company will corrupt your convictions and your morals. The influence of good company enhances and helps a person's morals and character. If you hang around godly people, you're going to be inspired to be more godly. If you hang around immoral, seductress, uh, ungodly, evil, wicked people, you're going to be motivated to be just like them. So listen, if you're going to be discipling them, be a good godly example. Amen. And they're going to say, that's what Christianity is like. That's what it's supposed to be like. If we want to develop godly character, Christ's likeness in others, we must first intentionally focus on building character, Christ's likeness in our life. And unfortunately, listen, let me tell you some some bad news. Unfortunately, we produce in others what we are, not what we want. Amen. So listen, mothers, fathers, you have an opportunity whenever you have some disciples 
in your, in your house. You have a great opportunity to develop some strong servants of the Lord. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't blow the opportunity. See, I believe God strategically, God gave us, he gave us children to raise a godly seed. Amen. God strategically placed you in your work, sir, to be a godly example, to be a godly role model so that people will be drawn to Christianity as you just live out the gospel. Amen. Y'all, y'all follow me? Discipling others requires, number three, intentional focus on teaching them biblical truth. Matthew chapter, or Mark 9, 30 says, he left the place, the palace, and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Jesus taught his disciples. He was always teaching them. He would say, you see that mountain over there? Let me teach you something about that mountain. See those birds right there? Let me teach you something about those birds. And he used nature. He used everything. He used life to teach them. He taught them sound doctrine. He taught taught them biblical principles. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to serve. He taught them how to do ministry. He taught them how to care for the poor. He taught them all this. The disciples became godly, mature, set free believers because they learned the truth. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, If you continue my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you know what? I remember whenever I first got saved, and I was trying to live the Christian life, and I would just be talking to my brother and sister-in-law. I would just be talking about you know life, about what I was experiencing. And along the way, they would say, Oh, no, no, you can't respond that way. So what do you mean I can't respond that way? Well, Jesus said you got to respond this way. No, no, you can't, you can't, no, you can't fight anymore. What you, what you mean I can't fight anymore? I mean, I got to protect myself. No, no, you got to turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. What do you mean turn the other cheek? But you know, they begin to teach me. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, somebody hurt you. Somebody offended you. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Man, it kind of reminds me of what happened to Jesus on the cross. But Todd, you can't hold unforgiveness towards them. You got to forgive them even though they hurt you. Even though they're turning their back on you just because you're trying to serve Jesus. You got to forgive them. Really? Yeah, look what it says right here in Matthew chapter 18. And they begin to point me to the scripture and show me the scripture and says, this is what the Bible says. And as I got along, listen, whenever you're married, hey, Todd, you got to make your wife a priority. Look what it says over here in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. You can't just, she's not your slave. She's not a servant in your household. No, you got to treat her like a queen. You got to love her like Christ loved the church. That's the way that you live the gospel. Say, no, 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 listen, you have children now. No, your children, you have to nurture them. You have to teach them. You have to learn how to pour your life into them. And you got to let them see that God's in you. And they need to see you reading your Bible as the daddy of the household. And they begin to just teach me the word of God. And I learn how to be a Christian by them modeling it, by them taking the time to be with me and begin to show me the truth of God's word. And so now whenever I go through life and I experience something, I remember the scripture that they pointed out to me in the Bible. So we have to know the word so we can show the word. We have to know the word so that we can teach the word. If we're going to disciple others, we got to be intent about it and we got to invest our time in them and we got to model it for them. Amen. Are y'all with me out there? Amen. So now the question is, if you just got saved, are you in discipleship? If you're not, listen, our Christianity classes is one of the reasons why we do that. It's a discipleship model. And so I encourage you, don't stay barely rooted in the Lord. The sun's going to come out, which represents trials and tribulations, and it's going to scorch out your faith. I encourage you, get in the Christianity classes. Be in the next one and get discipled. See, if you're just saved and you don't have any relationships, Christian relationships, it's, you know what, it's, it's important that you do. 
That's why we do life groups so that you can have an opportunity to get around other believers. And it's not just a lesson that's being taught. It's, it's hanging out with other believers. You're going to learn so much when you get around great and, and godly, mature believers. Amen. I used to like to go hang out at Brother Francis's life, house. And I was willing to work and, and, and do all the work that he wanted me to do. Because I wanted to just be next to godliness. I wanted to be next to a man of God. So I could learn to be a man of God. Are y'all with me out there? Amen. Amen. So if you've just saved and you... Listen, it's you got to get in discipleship. Amen. Now listen. If you've been saved for a while... You need to find somebody to disciple. You need a Timothy in your life. You need somebody to look after. Listen, you've been walking with God long enough now. It's time to get with the program. It's time to start taking responsibility for somebody else's spiritual walk. Come on, I'm preaching. I'm preaching right to you this morning. Are y'all with me? We can make a difference in Lafayette, but you just got to get this vision. Amen. Listen, you don't have to quit living your life. You can do it as you live your life. But just say, man, who can, who can, instead of just going to lunch after church on Sunday, who can I bring out and let them just see how my family lives their life? Amen. Who can I go invite to lunch this weekend? Who can I invite over to my house and just have a good time? Amen. Some of you might have heard of this thing Billy Graham's doing right now. It's a great evangelistic and he's done this teaching. It's like a 22-minute teaching that Billy Graham teaches the gospel. How many of you know he can teach the gospel? Amen. Well, listen, we have that video. You can get that. We can get that in your hands for free. You can just invite some of your friends over to your house. You can watch a football game and at halftime throw Billy Graham on. Amen. That's wise. Amen. So listen, we can win people to Christ and we can disciple them. We just got to learn how to do this. Amen. We just got to get the, the vision of it, the revelation of it. And we need to just be, be about the father's business. He said, listen, not just to the disciples, go and make disciples. He's saying to every believer, if you're saved, if you're born again, listen, if you're three steps ahead in your Christian walk, you can grab somebody that hadn't made the first step yet. Amen. If you're six steps ahead, you can grab somebody that's three steps ahead. There's, you always will find somebody that's a little bit behind you in their spiritual walk that you can come alongside. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. All you need to do is have a heart for it, a passion for it. And listen, God will use you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Come on. Are you ready? Are you willing? Come on, stand with me and let's release all these great This great goal that's sitting in the pews, God's chosen people, that he is a design, he's anointed, and he's appointed to be fruit bearers in the kingdom of God. Come on, you ain't got to do something special. You just got to live the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Come on, just open up your heart right now as we close in prayer. Come on, you have to, you have to just get it in your spirit, get it in your heart. Come on, be intentional, be intentional, get the vision for it. God will use you. There's going to be some people that are saved. And by the way, I don't know how many people, but there were, there was at least 10 people that raised their hands to receive Christ Friday night. And you know what that tells me? It works, brothers and sisters. It works. It works. We had a lot of guests there because we had people in this church that made friends and they leveraged their influence to invite them to a ladies night. They heard the gospel preached. They responded to it and the seed of salvation was planted in their heart. I'm telling you, this works. Amen. God has strategically placed you where you live, where you work, in your family to make a difference, to be an influence. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We can make a difference. Come on. If you have the liberty, just raise your hands and I want to pray for you and Ask God, God, help us. Help us, Lord, not to be self-absorbed, selfish, self-centered Christians, but help us, Lord, to be servants. Help us to be filled with love. Help us to walk in humility. And Lord, help us to love people and help us, God, to reach out to others. Help us, Lord, to live Christianity in a way that other people are attracted to it. Lord, this is a great army that you can use to make a great difference in Lafayette and our community. And I pray, God, today that you would release your power, release your presence, release your anointing in this place. 
Lord, I pray that there would be revival in Lafayette according and because of the servants that are sitting in the pew right now that are willing to go out and to be the voice and to be the hands and be the feet of Jesus wherever they go. Thank you, Father God, for your grace that is here. Now, if you would, everybody, just put your hands down for just a moment. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. If you're here today and you say, Todd, I'm one of those. I'm that first seed. I've heard the gospel, but it seems like the enemy's always come and stolen the seed out of my heart. And I'm not believed. I'm not received. I'm not accepted. I'm not followed through. And I'm not today. I don't know that I've even ever been a Christian, but today I want to be a Christian. I want to live for Jesus. Would you pray for me? I want to be saved and I want to start this journey. If that's you and you say, Todd, I don't, I, I'm just an empty vessel that is looking for answers and I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for solutions. Would you pray for me? If that's you, raise your hand, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. The Lord is tugging right now. Thank you, Father. The Holy Spirit. It's the one that draws us. Amen. And listen, just bow your, bow your heart and bow your head. Say this with sincerity and genuineness and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sinful ways. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me, Lord, for turning my back on you? Lord, today I make a decision. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to go the other way. But I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to submit my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me into your family. Lord, empower me and teach me how to live the Christian life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. 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 Amen, saints. So listen. So here's an example. They're infants in the Lord. What are we going to do? Leave them in the hospital room and go on vacation? Go on holiday? Or are we going to take care of them? We got to take care of them. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray your blessing over this congregation today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day and go do it.